Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. He's the front of the plate. He is. Nice. Nice run. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host Jason down in Tampa. This is the 160th episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Hard to believe we've been going this long already. Now we've put out 160 episodes. So thanks for uh, finding us. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at JPO Sports. If you haven't already subscribed, hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform. You'll get the podcast dropped to you every week. Uh, tell a friend about what we're doing, trying to put out some good content for you. Remember, I also host a couple other podcasts called the No Quarter Given Podcast, which uh, centers around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers throughout the year. And I also host the Florida Football Insiders Podcast, which is a college football-centric in the state of Florida podcast where we talk about all things college football in the state of Florida. So if you like uh, if you're a college football fan and you like stuff in the state of Florida, check that out. We're part of the College Gridiron. That podcast is part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network, where we provide you some podcasts and some content from all over the country in the world of college football, from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, uh, out in the Midwest, out down south, here in the state of Florida, SEC country, and, and everything in between. We even have a, we even have a military academy podcast as well. That's solely centered around the uh, service academies, uh, Army, Air Force, and the Navy. So, uh, again, if you're if you're into content, you like good good sports content, definitely uh, tell your friends about what we're doing. We're trying to put out good content for you every week. And I think we got another good podcast for you this week. We're going to talk to Matt Zemek. He's the editor of the USA Today Trojan Wire. He covers all things Southern California uh, sports, USC sports, the Pac-12. But he's also a nat- national uh, college football uh, provider of, of content. He's very well versed in all things college football, college basketball, we're going to really talk about the playoff scenarios that are developing here. Uh, your top four have remained the same: Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. But you got Tennessee, LSU, and USC are kind of lingering there. So we're going to talk about some various scenarios and such uh, as we move uh, with only a couple weeks left of the regular season. And then obviously we still have championship week on the on the. Uh, conference championship week so still got a lot of things that can happen a lot of opportunities for upsets and you invariably will see somebody get beat that shouldn't get beat and all that stuff so we're going to talk about that in a little bit also i'll also provide you some game picks and such with the college football uh, schedule and the nfl schedule for the weekend as well so um stay tuned to matt again we're going to have a good good stuff with matt a couple things want to hit before we get to matt First, the tragedy at University of Virginia. Three football players killed, I think it was Sunday night. Sunday night, uh, coming up, coming back from a field trip. Three football players and a couple other students at the university were wounded. Uh, sounds like there's a lone gunman who they've captured, which is a former a former football player at Virginia. But uh, just uh, thinking of the three uh, families of the, uh, of, the, of the lost loved ones, uh, the three football players, Virginia has... Is, has canceled their game this week against Coastal Carolina on Saturday. They've canceled that game, uh, so they will not play on uh, Saturday. To uh, I think they're doing a uh, campus-wide celebration, I believe, on Saturday. But again, uh, probably the right thing to do there. Uh, Virginia's not in the mix for any any anything of any note from, from the on the football field, and obviously the tragedy. You have to. Uh, the wise move was to not play this week. Uh, Virginia plays Virginia Tech next week, Thanksgiving weekend. They've not announced what they're going to do yet, whether they will play or not. 
will be very interesting to see what they do there. I think they will probably play, but you never know. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But again, terrible, terrible news out of Charlottesville uh, involving that situation. Um, next, Jeff Saturday and the Colts, 1-0. If you, if you listen to the podcast last week, I thought it was a pretty innovative move to make a move like this, to bring Saturday. And I think it's a no-lose no situation for Jim Irsay. If you bring in Saturday and he doesn't do well or doesn't like it, okay. It's a seven-game, eight-game experiment and it doesn't work, okay. Then you go hire somebody in the office at the end of the season and you move on. But if Saturday does work, seems to like it, has some success, maybe you found something here that you didn't that you didn't unexpectedly know. I know there's arguments on both sides of the ledger about, well, this guy's never coached before, really, never never served his dues. Um, you know, Bill Coward, Joe Thomas were very critical of uh, the move by Ursay. I think it's a, I think it's an uh, excellent, you know, out of the box move. We've seen it many times in other sports. Guys like Steve Kerr, guys like uh, Steve Nash, guys like Bob Brenly in baseball have come straight out of the, uh, whether it's the broadcast booth, uh, whatever, have had little to no coaching experience, and they've done very well. You know, again, if you're the Colts, are you going to put your, are you going to waste eight or seven, eight, nine weeks with John Fox or Gus Bradley in charge? Please. Those guys have, are, are, those guys had their, had their run, uh, Fox was a good coach, but he's much older now. Gus Bradley, not n- little to no success as a head coach. The retread program was not going to be the way to go there in Indianapolis. If you watch the game on Sunday against Las Vegas, um, they were very organized. They they seemed inspired. They seemed to play for the guy a little bit. They were they played well. They were crisp. Uh, are they the best team in the league? No. Are they going to go on a seven or eight game winning streak? Probably not. But again. They seem to have a little bit of uh, spunk in their step. They played well. They weren't committing penalties all over the place. And one thing you did see, you saw the Colts run the ball better. Saturday will help with the running game, no doubt about it. He'll be able to help the uh, offensive staff there. He did a good job with time management and such. And I think from a leadership perspective, he understands as being a longtime player in the league, the the ups and downs of of the the emotions of players, uh, the, the the moment of the game, things like that. So I think he will do well in that front. And then the game management of that front, he'll do as well. Um, speaking of game, again, you have all these other coaches that have, have spent all this time doing this and doing that, but yet Pete Carroll down 12 points goes for two. Ridiculous. Down 12, you go for two after a touchdown against the Buccaneers. Absolute stupidity. You got all kind of problems in Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels. You know, David Carr coming out after post-game saying uh, there's guys in this room that are not very committed, basically, that, that are just kind of going through the motions, that are not uh, doing everything they can to uh, contribute to winning in Las Vegas. Very emotional with Carr. I think you're, you're going to see David Carr get moved at the end of the year. I think his, his time in Las Vegas has kind of run out. Not because his play has not been good enough. He's a good player. He's not a great player, but he's a good player. Uh, I think you'll see uh, McDaniels um, make a move there. The Raiders are not going to be very good this year. Don't be surprised if they're in the top five drafting. Probably going if you're in the top five, you're probably going to draft a quarterback. So I would not be. Don't be surprised if David Carr is on the move, a place he could potentially go. If a guy like Tom Brady doesn't come back, could be Tampa. Because the contract is not outrageous for David or for Derek Carr, uh, he could be a good uh, next next guy up in Tampa if Tom Brady left. Because uh, because again, if you're the Bucks, you still have you still have a winning team down here, especially on offense. And a guy like Derek Carr could be a a nice uh, guy to slide in and take over the mantle for Tom Brady. So we'll see how that un- unfolds here as we get towards the, uh, the 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 latter the second half of the year. And as most guys you hear in the NFL talk about, most good teams start making their move around Thanksgiving. So we are close to Thanksgiving. You're going to see some teams elevate, and you're going to see some teams go backwards. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Vegas with McDaniels in that locker room and such as well. So 
the World Cup starts. Next topic: World Cup starts on uh, on the weekend in uh, in Qatar. The United States will have a very uh, active week this Thanksgiving week. You'll see tons of the U.S. on on TV next week. They play Monday, the twenty first against Wales. Again, you say Wales. Who's Wales? Well, if you know anything about world soccer, Gareth Bale, uh, he's their star player for Wales. They play uh, Wales on Monday, and then Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, was a heavyweight sports weekend, part of the heavyweight sports weekend. Remember, you're going to have NFL games on Thanksgiving. You have college football Friday, Saturday. Uh, you're going to have, obviously, the NFL on Sunday, but uh, and you're going to have World Cup games every single day on Fox. Uh, these World Cup games, you're going to get two or three World Cup games every single day during this, especially the first week and a half or so, two weeks of uh, pool play. You're going to have two or three games a day on on the Fox networks uh, every single day. So the Americans play on Monday against Wales and Friday again with the huge showdown versus England. So that's to me, that's must-watch TV right there if you're a soccer fan at all. Even if you're not a soccer fan, the World Cup is a cool event to watch. And, you know, especially when the U.S. are playing, I definitely would suggest you going somewhere. Uh, there'll be lots of watch parties at sports bars and such involving the U.S. Uh, World Cup team. So be an interesting, cool thing to do there. So, uh, again, you're going to see you'll see soccer coverage all starting on. I, th- I think they start on Sunday. Um, but again, you will uh, see tons and tons of World Cup coverage on Fox for the next month. So the first time they've ever done it this time of the year. Normally, obviously, it's in the summertime, but they are going now basically from the week of Thanksgiving till uh, the week before Christmas. So cool thing there. I think you'll like it. I'm a soccer fan, so I will definitely enjoy it as well. So, all right, stick around. Matt Zemmett coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Again, we're going to talk all things college football playoff. Is USC a threat to make it? Uh, what are the scenarios with different scenarios with teams winning and losing involving LSU? Can LSU be a spoiler here? If they run the table, are they going to get in as a two-loss SEC champion? How does that affect Tennessee? How does that affect USC? If, if LSU loses, who gets in, Tennessee or USC? Is there a possibility that both Michigan and Ohio State get in uh, the playoff as well? So lots of scenarios with Matt Zemeck. We're also going to talk about what was Oregon doing Putting their whole season on the line in the in the in the uh, on a fourth down play with a backup quarterback in the game. So you're going to hear lots of uh, passion about that on both fronts. So enjoy Matt Zemek, and you will hear some uh, game following Matt. You're going to hear me give you a couple game picks for the weekend as well. So Powers on Sports Podcast, appreciate you finding us. If you haven't already subscribed, make sure you hit the button. The podcast is brought to you by Beefo Brady's here in Tampa corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Go check out World Cup, football, basketball, hockey, college basketball is going now. Anything you want to watch, Beefo Brady's is the place to do it. Beautifully new, newly remodeled restaurant as well. So uh, definitely stop by Beefs if you're uh, in the mood to watch a little, little sports action. That is definitely the place to do it. Great place, great spot, Beefo Brady's. And we also want to thank our other sponsors, Hank's Barbecue, Home Slice Pizza Company, Titan Home Lending, and Print and Marketing Solutions, along with our realtor, Star Alvarado. So enjoy the podcast, enjoy Matt Zemeck, and you'll hear Matt in just a couple of minutes. This podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's, Home Slice Pizza, and Hank's Barbecue. For all of your restaurant needs anywhere in the Carrollwood Forest Hills area of Tampa, definitely reach out Beefo Brady's. Home Slice Pizza on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue, and Hank's Barbecue just north on Dale Mabry, just north of Waters Avenue on the left. For all of your catering needs, whether it's barbecue, whether it's sports bar food, whether it's pizza, anything you need as the holidays approach, reach out to Beef O'Brady's, Home Slice Pizza, or Hank's Barbecue. Games you want to watch Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday night. College football, NFL, NBA is starting, NHL is starting, college basketball right around the corner. Check out all the TVs, all the great setups, all you need for sports viewing at Beef O'Brady's on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. 
If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back, Powers on Sports Podcast. We are almost to the finish line in the college football playoffs. we got two weeks to go. A lot of drama still to be determined. A lot of team, uh, not as many as last week, but we got we still have probably six, maybe seven teams still in the mix. And one of those teams, we're going to talk to the guy that covers them every day out West, Mr. Matt Zemick, editor of USA Today, Trojan Wire. He, co- he covers the Trojans, covers the Pac-10. Pac-12, not Pac-10, Pac-12. It's going to be the Pac-10. You're, you're, you're really not inaccurate there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk to Matt. We're also going to talk to Matt about the playoff, some playoff implications. He's well-versed on all things college football. So welcome back, Matt. Thanks for having me. Let's roll. USC-UCLA game week. USC football relevant again for the UCLA-Notre Dame double stack at the end of the season. This is how it's supposed to be out here. Right. USC can't wait, cannot wait. All right, let me give Matt a little, couple, little, little more pub. He's part of our College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network. He hosts the Get Off My Pylon podcast. Talk, talks all things Pac-12. So, uh, Matt or Matt, and who's your who, who's your partner? I can't forget his name. Alex Blount. Hey, folks, watching here on the Powers on Sports podcast, you want to listen to Jason on the Florida Football uh-huh. Insiders podcast, also part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. Jason does a great job. His segments with Jim Levitt, awesome. Want to listen to Florida Football Insiders. We try to, we're try we covering the whole country with this podcast network. Matt does the West Coast. I do a little Florida. We do some Big Ten. We do some LSU. We do some ACC stuff. So we try to give the, the, all, all the fans a, a good flavor of the, of the world of college football. All right, let's get right into it. Before we get to UCLA, USC, by the way, they both vomited all or UCLA and uh, freaking Oregon vomit all over themselves last week. I mean, <laughs> let's get to Oregon first. How do you put your entire season on the line, fourth down and one in a tie game from your own 34-yard line with a backup quarterback in the game when the starting quarterback taps you on the shoulder before fourth down and says, I'm good to go, put me in the game, coach. We don't call a timeout and we run a fourth down play with two minutes to go in the game in the biggest game of your season to, to this date and Dan Lenning's biggest game of his career. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for saying the truth. It's not about whether he went for it on fourth down. It's that you need Bo Nix in the game and he's there and he's willing. And of course, here's the thing, Jason, he put Bo Nix back in the next the drive. drive. If he's, if you're putting him in on the final drive, you can put him in for that play. What's going on? How is this so hard? So it's not about the fourth down decision. Well, it is. It's not even it about is. the fourth down play call. It's you have to have Bo Nix in there if he's able. And because you put him in for the final drive, he was obviously able to be on the field and you don't put him on there. That is the point. That is where the focus should be. Thank you, Jason, for making that point. That's the thing. Bo Nix should have been on the field because we all saw what happened. No one respects Ty Thompson, all right? Throw the ball. No one expects him as a passer. Yes. No one expects him to do a boot, naked bootleg. Washington put everybody in the box. It's going to be a handoff up the middle, selling out. Washington could know what was coming. Now, like, so if you have Ty Thompson and you know that Washington's going to crash down on the run, then you have to call something else. So, like, you, if at least if you're going to have Ty Thompson, you can't do the predictable thing with 10 million guys in the box selling out against the run. You have to do something different. A wide receiver screen or like a, the, the receiver coming across in motion, you hand it off like Debo Samuel. Run a reverse, Kyle some kind Niners. of misdirection. You have to do something different if you leave Ty Thompson in there. Totally, that is where the focus should be. Total mismanagement by Lanning and Timmy Dilly now. And, and what kills me, if they're, if they're behind, obviously it's a no doubt you have to go – Dan Lanning is a defensive guy. I, I know Michael Penix had success. They moved the ball. But you you cannot risk your whole season from the 34-yard line on fourth and one with two minutes to go in the game. 
you if if, if Mike if you punt the ball and Michael Penix goes fifty yards and they kick a field goal, you clap your hands. But to me, you can't go for it on your own thirty-four yard line, knowing Bo Nix is not in the game. So double whammy on Dan Lanning, who's a defensive guy, in my opinion. Well, and this is where we get to you know the weaker side of Oregon. The de- the defense has not been good. Like the defense gave up thirty to UCLA that. Oregon won because Oregon scored 45. I mean, this is what we've seen at, here at USC. Like, the defenses are not very good. The offenses can score in the 40s. The defenses just have to be okayed, but their defenses aren't good. And so, you know, that I that, get it, but you're at home, too. You're at home, too. <clears throat> that's part of the calculus. The other thing is Tosh McCoy. Like, we remember him from Alabama. We remember Clemson just absolutely roasting Tosh McCoy. Uh, Alabama defense so you know like Lanning Lanning did not get as good a defensive coordinator as he could have or perhaps should have so that is also part of the conversation uh, for Oregon so like you have to know your personnel you have to know your weaknesses and your strengths Um, you know that that's that's the larger conversation to be had there what did what did Lanning say at post game about Bo Nix not being in the game uh, you know, he, he, he said he thought about it, but but he ultimately said he was confident in the play that they had. And, you know, I don't think that cuts it. That's not a satisfactory answer. And again, because you know the handoff is coming with Ty Thompson expressing confidence. Let's also note, Oregon had two offensive linemen get injured in this game, one of them being the center, Alex Forsyth. Yep. So you don't have your 100% full-strength offensive line. The idea that you can just smash mouth Washington when Washington has everyone in the box, you know, that just does not cut it. No one's convinced uh, by that line of thinking by Dan Lanning. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't understand. And by the way, Michael Penix, Washington quarterback, transfer from Indiana as a Tampa, Florida product where I'm at here. He's from Tampa, big, big high school career here, went to Indiana, obviously played for Kalen to board Indiana, then went to obviously went to Washington with Kalen. So Quality quarterback. I'm not just, I mean, again, he might have driven him down the field and kicked the field goal. I get it, but you cannot. I just can't. I, in a tie game you with under two minutes to go, if there's four think, minutes to go, I don't have a problem with him going for it because you're going to have time to get the ball back no matter what. Yeah. I, here's the thing. Like, if you do put your season, the game on the line for, for that kind of thing, have your best players on the field. You have to call time Call out. your best play. Like you at least have to do that. And yes. didn't have he didn't check either box. Didn't have his best players. Certainly wasn't the best play under the circumstances. So he's over two. And the bad part is this Oregon team had a legit chance to go to the playoff. They were it in did. prime position yep. to run the table there and get to the playoff after the beatdown they took at Georgia. TCU just has to lose once and, and it was all right yes. there for, for Oregon. Yep. I mean that that's th- that's the part that's disheartening for if you're an Oregon fan. And, and you know, so you know, for those who don't follow the Pac-12 really closely, like this is a tradition out here in the West. Come November, come the middle of November, Pac-12 teams in the playoff hunt torch their resume. I mean, we, we you know, this goes back 11 years. Uh, Oregon lost at home to USC. That was the Matt Barkley Lane Kiffin team yep. 2011 when it had a shot. Lost at home to Stanford in 2012 when it had a shot. These are November moments. Oregon and Mario Cristobal lost that game to Herm Edwards in Arizona State in 2019 when they had a shot at the playoffs. And then last year, Oregon loses at Utah. All in November. Like, you get to November, a Pac-12 team in the playoff hunt shoots itself in the foot. You can set your watch to it. It's how we roll out here, which is out of bed and on the floor and then into the hospital. Is is in, in, in last question? We'll move on. Is landing an analytics guy? Because to me, that that was an analytics decision to go for it fourth and one. Well, anal- landing certainly seems to be of the new age mindset that okay. he, he is extremely aggressive on fourth down. And you know, against these bad Pac-12 defenses, that generally works, and it did work for him against UCLA. Went for it on fourth and three. Went for a few other fourth downs. Converted them. It it all worked. He also called a surprise onside kick in the UCLA game. He did that again against Washington. So, like, he's he. And you can do it in the second, third. You can do this stuff in the second and third quarter. But when there's two minutes left in the game and your season's on the line, you can't can't be that reckless. Certainly not without Bo Nix. You have to have Nix in there if he's able. Yeah. 
All right, let's get to UCLA. Chip Kelly. I mean, not that they were in, had an opportunity to. Be, they were they they were of the three teams in the Pac-12 the least likely to make a playoff run. Potentially, they could have. They would have needed. They would have needed massive chaos to happen in front of them. And yeah. Them, but for them to lose to Arizona, what does that tell you about that UCLA team? You know, just just not accustomed to that kind of pressure, not accustomed to that kind of situation. You know, a lot of other programs, like let's say Clemson. Uh, you know, you look at you could look at others across the country, Michigan, Ohio State, like that. They're used to the grind. They're used to process of pacing themselves and UCLA not really in that same boat and it's going to be really interesting in terms of Lincoln Riley and USC like this group is not used to it but Lincoln Riley is so does Lincoln Riley's expertise rub off on his players it's going to be very interesting but you know it really seemed right that UCLA was looking right past Arizona thinking about USC like it was that kind of game it really felt felt like that UCLA was not fully there because let's lay out the numbers here jason powers on sports podcast arizona had allowed 45 or more points in five of its previous six games arizona allowed 49 points to cal which just fired offensive coordinator bill musgrave right like so arizona was the ultimate swiss cheese defense arizona and colorado two worst defenses in the pac-12 by far and UCLA scoring 28 and and 35 would have been enough to win and you're scoring 28 like just everyone hit the snooze button at the same time and you know in terms of coaching chip kelly absolutely mangled the final sequence ucla at the 20 arizona 29 yard line with 22 seconds left 22 seconds left that's four plays that's four, probably four plays four, that's at least four plays maybe five if you play it right and so 29 yard line you don't you don't think about getting the whole chunk at once. Generally, if you're at the 29 and you have four or five plays to work with, that first play should be a, like a 15 10. yard pass. Get yeah, get inside the 15 yard line, and then you're dealing with you know quote unquote normal pass plays right that don't take a lot of time that don't require the the, the quarterback to to be looking down the field you know hoping for a chuck and pray right. type completion. But what does Chip Kelly do? four chuck and pray passes from the 29 yard line they were all toward the end zone toward the goal line that is just dumb and chip kelly ought to know better and dorian thompson robinson ought to know better you know he's a veteran he's been at ucla for 19 years uh you know he's like the perry ellis of uh pac-12 quarterbacks he's been there done that he should know better the coach should know better that was shocking not that ucla failed it's just how they went about that like it should be obvious. You get close on the first pass, and then with like 15 seconds, then you have three plays from the 10, from the yep. 12, and they didn't do that. It was just four hope and pray lobs. That was awful. And so UCLA just was not prepared to play this game, and it was not prepared to finish this game. And that tells me it was all about USC, and they got ambushed. Looking ahead. All right, let's get to let's get to the matchup here. USC UCLA this weekend. The Battle of L.A., obviously, bragging rights. You got the private school kids versus the public school kids kind of mantra. What is the sentiment in Los Angeles about this rivalry, especially when both teams are good? Yeah, well, it's the biggest game. It's the biggest USC-UCLA game since 2005. In 2005, Carl Durrell had a one-loss UCLA team coming into the Coliseum yep. against the unbeaten 2005 juggernaut with you know Reggie Bush, the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, the, the great team trying to, you know, go back to back with B, consecutive BCS national championships, eventually have the 34 game winning streak snapped by Texas in the epic Rose Bowl. So it's the biggest USC UCLA game in 17 years. But UCLA lost, you know, it t- takes a little bit out of it. Not everything, but a little bit, because if UCLA had won, they would both be on the same footing. They would both be nine and one. Their yeah. quarterbacks would both be on equal footing in the Heisman race. Yeah. Both would have had the equal you know, just win this game, you get in. Now, if, you know, if USC wins, it's in the Pac-12 championship game. If UCLA wins, then we're going to get some messy uh, Pac-12 tiebreakers for the second spot, okay. uh, along with the Utah-Oregon loser. Uh, that, that could get very complicated. Uh, so the UCLA loss took some of the juice out of this, but it's still huge. Like, you know, it's it's for bragging rights. The winner's going to have a, at least a 10-win season, uh, if not if not 11 or 12. 
uh, Pac-12 championship game, New Year's Six Bowl, chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Right. So this is the way it used to be with uh, John Robinson and Terry Donahue and all, of course, back in the 1960s. And, you know, the 1967 USC-UCLA game, for, for those who don't follow history, Pac-12 history, Pac-8 history very closely, 1967 is the most important, epic, memorable USC-UCLA game of all time because you had Heisman Trophy candidate Gary Beban, quarterback of UCLA, Heisman Trophy uh, candidate O.J. Simpson yep. for USC, and that's the game in which – now, you might remember Reggie Bush making a cutback run against Fresno State in 2005, yep. Yep. the moment yep. he sealed. That Heisman was O.J. run. Traced, it traced the path of the O.J. run yep. in 1967 yep. against UCLA, and that was a matchup of top four teams. Yep. Over the running for the national title, USC wins a thriller and eventually wins the national championship. That was John McKay's second national title out of four. He also won in 1962. Then again, his 1972 team, which many people think is the greatest USC team of all time. And then one more time uh, before he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, he won it all in 1974. So 1967, the greatest USC UCLA yep. game. This game doesn't rise to the same heights, but like it's certainly one, it's certainly one of the bigger ones we've had in, in recent memory, and, and that certainly spices it up. So in terms of looking at the matchup, I mean, I'm thinking this is a track meet, and one of the really key questions is: Can Eric Gentry, the linebacker for USC, who's been out since the end of the Utah game, he got injured in the fourth quarter of the Utah game on October 15th, can he play? If he can't play, man, USC's been extremely thin at linebacker. And you know, you, everyone can see that USC doesn't have the talent on defense you know, to be at that elite Pete Carroll yeah. level. They're, they're still a notch below. And that was widely agreed upon before the season, that USC did not have enough in the cupboard on defense. So it, without Eric Gentry, who you know is, has long strides and long arms, he covers ground, he deflects passes, he was contributing to all those interceptions. In the first month of the season, USC had a couple four interception games. Gentry makes so much happen for that defense. Without him, it's going to be a much tougher climb. Now, people will say, hey, the Travis Dye injury. Yes, that's big. But Dye's absence is going to be bigger in pass protection than in the running game. Austin Jones, the transfer running back from Stanford, who's the next man up in the rotation, he can run. The problem is his pass protection. Right. That's why Lincoln Riley has not been playing him as much. Lincoln Riley at USC, he he will demand that you be able to do everything well. You don't just that's not just what you do with the ball. You have to block. You have to prepare things for your teammates. You have to be a good complementary piece. And Austin Jones is not nearly as advanced as Travis Dye and those other football IQ, uh, you know, dimensions. And so, pass protection with Austin Jones on the field that could be when the Trojans and Caleb Williams get into trouble, that's going to be the thing you want to watch for when USC has the ball. But I think that if you were to say, who's the be the bigger injury, Travis Dye or Eric Gentry, I think it's Gentry. Yep. He needs to play for USC in this game. What's the status of Addison and the receivers? Addison played against Colorado. Didn't okay. play a lot. Didn't make a big statistical imprint. But Lincoln Riley did say, just wanted to kind of get his blood flowing again in yep. a game situation after he missed the Cal game. Yeah, uh, and miss the Arizona game, so he will be he will play, and if he's probably going to be close to full speed. That's excellent news, and that can certainly compensate for Eric Gentry. And it leads me to think, Jason, that you know if USC is going to win this game, it needs to be fifty six forty nine. That if USC is not scoring yep. forty points, USC is toast. Right. USC has to score at least mid forties, if uh, not more, to win this game. If USC has a less than great offensive day curtains all right let's, let, I'm, I'm gonna make i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a bad assumption probably shouldn't be doing this but i'm gonna assume usc wins the game let's assume usc gets to the pac-12 title game and wins it they're a one loss team i want to give you a couple playoff scenarios and give me your thoughts obviously georgia ohio state michigan tcu are one through four now we still got three more rankings to come out usc probably jumps to number six behind tennessee i would guess going into Tuesday night's rankings. That'd be my guess. We're doing yes. this on Monday night. I yes. would guess they go to six behind Tennessee. Yes. Here's a couple scenarios. Obviously, you have Michigan, State, Michigan, Ohio State. One of those you're going to lose. If it's a classic, though, 
Yeah. Will, will they drop below USC, a one-loss Pac-12 champion USC? That's question number one for you if it's a classic in Columbus. I think USC the gets loser. in. I think USC gets in over the Ohio State Michigan loser. Uh and, and let's keep in mind that Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame lost to Marshall and Stanford, but Notre Dame rebounded, beat Syracuse, and then crushed Clemson. So people are now thinking, and Notre Dame is going to be in the top 20 of the playoff yeah. rankings this week. Yeah. So that becomes a good value win. Like US yeah. and USC needed that in terms of the playoff. Sure. So if USC goes through UCLA, Notre Dame, and then Oregon or Utah, yeah, those are three really strong wins stacked together. And USC is a conference champion. Yes. So I think that USC gets in ahead of the Ohio State Michigan loser. I do not think USC gets in ahead of Tennessee because Tennessee has those two great wins: Alabama, LSU, and dump trucked LSU on the road. That I mean. That is going to be, and the, of course, the SEC has the benefit of the doubt. It has earned the benefit of the doubt in these kinds of questions. So an 11-1 Tennessee, not playing in the SEC championship game, but having those two awesome wins, I think Tennessee is before USC, a 12-1 USC in the pecking order, but I think USC is ahead of but the Ohio State-Michigan loser and a 12-1 Clemson and a 12-1 TCU if we get to that TCU has to win out TCU has to be perfect to get in I think that's pretty unanimous but I think 12 and 1 TCU uh, is behind 12 and 1 USC it's really give you the once I'm going to give you the one scenario where I think you're wrong Georgia in Ohio State Michigan winner in if LSU runs the table they're getting in. Yeah. If they beat Georgia, okay. they're getting in, which means Tennessee will not be a third SEC team where USC could then jump to the fourth spot if they run the table too. Okay, Jason, let's go back to 2016. Ohio State had one loss. Yep. Penn State was the Big Ten champion with two losses. Who got in? It was Ohio State, even though it did not win its conference championship. So I, I've been I was ready for this. I firmly think that Tennessee will get in over a two loss SEC champion LSU if we get to that. I don't think but it's so. it's the it's the ultimate chaos scenario. I know Tennessee went down to Baton Rouge and beat them soundly, but if if LSU beats Alabama, wins the rest of their games, and then basically beats Georgia in a de facto Georgia, home, in a true. de facto home game for Georgia in the Georgia Dome. That's There's true. no way I don't think any ch- chance in the world they they keep them out and put Tennessee in, who got beat by Georgia. I know it was only two touchdowns, but really that was a three or four touchdown game. We can agree it's the headache the college football committee desperately wants to avoid. And the good thing is I think I think USC in that scenario gets in as the four seed because one, it's a brand name. The say what we want. The committee wants a brand name to play Georgia in round one or, or Ohio State or whoever. They want that West Coast audience. If they, if it's dead even between them and Tennessee, one, they've got a conference championship, like you mentioned. And two, I think they would want that West Coast, that brand of USC back in the national mix. And you can't have you you wouldn't want to have two SEC teams playing each other in a semifinal. That's right. the other thing. Right. I mean, so I think, again, there's no ch- – I don't think there's any chance three SEC teams are making it. So, if L- let, all right, let's say LSU well, loses. Well, if, if the Pac-12 champion has two losses yeah. and, and, and TCU loses, there's they a chance. They might take the loser. And, and Ohio State the Michigan is loser. a blowout. That's different. You're, that's, that's your scenario is a little different. Correct. Yep. But – what do you think is going to happen? You th- can, can U.S. I mean, do you think USC's got the 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 medal and the cojones to run the table here? USC has the medal and the cojones, but it doesn't have the bodies. Like if you don't have <laughs> Travis Dye and Eric Gentry, it, it, it's re- it's a really big ask. To me, I mean, obviously you want to at least make sure you beat UCLA or Notre Dame. At least get one of the two, and hopefully get a Cotton Bowl bid. You get to the New Year's Six. It would be a waste of a, of a great season if USC went to the Alamo or Holiday. If USC can at least get to the New Year's Six, if you told me right now you get to the Cotton Bowl, you play Tulane, I'd take it. I'd take it. 
because it would be a disaster to go to the Alamo or Holiday uh, during this season. Last question, I'll get you out. I know you got to go here. Yep. Yep. Um, Heisman Trophy. If Caleb, if Caleb Williams runs the table here and plays really well these last three games, is that enough to win the, the Heisman Trophy over a guy like Drake May, maybe even a CJ Stroud? I think I think it's Hendon Hooker's to lose. Okay. I think it's still wow. Hendon Hooker. Like he wow. played great against Missouri. You know, if your one bad game is at the defending national champions between the hedges, I still think it's his to lose. Okay. CJ Stroud gets to make his case against Michigan. So like if he makes a Troy Smith statement from like 2006, right. sure. But we haven't seen that yet. So if 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 Stroud plays poorly against Michigan, and if Drake May can't beat Clemson in that North Carolina Clemson ACC championship game, then Caleb Williams has the chance to be right there with Hendon Hooker at the very end. I think that's the way to put it. All right, Bad Zemmick, great work, man. I know we're, we're we may even have you back in another. If USC's still in it two weeks from now, we if might USC have is, you back. Bring it on. We that might have great. you back. So uh, appreciate the time. Tell everybody where they can find all your great work in the in the Get Off My Pilot podcast. So get off my pile and you find it at Spotify, Google, Apple, Red Circle, wherever you listen to your podcast, just like Florida Football Insiders, Jason Powers. Also, uh, you know, wherever you find uh, Powers on Sports Podcast, Jason obviously will be able to market that on his show. But uh, uh, so get off my pile as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network and then Trojans Wire, trojanswire.usatoday.com. We've got UCLA week covered, just lots of content. Want to make Trojans while you're home for USC UCLA coverage. And tell Dan Lanning, punt the football or call timeout <laughs> and put Bo Nix in the game, please. Amen. Have a great week, sir. Thank you. Bye. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813 813- Five three eight nine five seven two. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs. Corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed our chat with Matt Zemick. Gave you some really good insight and information on the college football playoffs, but now let's transition some game picks. Let's put let's try to make some put some cash in your pocket as we head to the Thanksgiving and Black Friday uh, weekend here coming up in about a week or so. Seeing more and more Black Friday specials, all that stuff in my emails, text messages, advertisement. The Christmas music is flowing all over your uh, radio dial, whether it's Sirius XM or your local radio station. The Christmas music is flowing. Actually, we're actually getting a little chilly weather down here in the state of Florida this weekend. Uh, I got my second round of my high school playoff games. It's supposed to be in the low 50s uh, to, on Friday night, so it'd be nice to get a little chilly weather down here in the state of Florida as we head into the weekend. All right, some game picks. Not a great college football slate. Got a couple tricky games I want to talk about. A couple uh, of be careful kind of games. LSU hosting my alma mater, UAB, the Blazers. If you remember back in the day, the UAB Blazers once went to LSU when Nick Saban was the coach and beat them in Baton Rouge. You got Brian Kelly coming off a tight win last week in Fayetteville against Arkansas. You got A&M next week, so be careful here if you're LSU. It's a trap, potential trap game with uh, UAB coming to town Saturday night in Baton Rouge, so just be careful there. Uh, LSU is about a 14 point, 14, 14 and a half point favorite. Uh, I expect LSU to win, but just be careful because UAB has a really good running game, one of the better running backs in the country. So again, uh, be careful if you're uh, LSU, take care of your business and uh, keep moving. 
The big battle out west we talked about with Matt Zemick, USC, UCLA. UCLA is a UCLA is a home underdog, a two and a half point home underdog. The total is 76, which is crazy. Uh, there will be a lot of points in this game. Both defenses not very good. Both offenses good. Uh, again, USC minus two and a half. Again, you you would think USC has the has all, everything to play for that they would find a way to get get it done here. But don't be surprised, Chip Kelly. Remember, Chip Kelly put 60 on USC last year. Um, tricky game here. So USC minus two and a half uh, going to play across the city over in Los Angeles over at the Rose Bowl. Utah, Oregon, another uh, interesting game there. Pac-12. Remember, the top two teams in the Pac-12 will go to the Pac-12 title game. Those those have not been determined yet, so both these teams are still in the mix. The game is in Autzen in Oregon, in Eugene. It's an absolute dead pick 'em. Uh, I would take Oregon here at home. I think Nick's in company. If Nick's is healthy, I know he got nicked up a little bit last week, but uh, if Nick's is healthy, I would take Oregon here at home uh, to rebound after their loss last year. Utah's good this year, but they're just not quite as good as they've been. They were last year. So give me Utah at home. And another tricky game, TCU heading to Baylor. TCU with an impressive win last week in Austin. They head to uh, Waco to fa face Aranda, Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears. Again, I would, again, can TCU keep getting their emotional level up to keep going through this gauntlet they're having to go through in the Big 12? Interesting game there. TCU minus two and a half. That is a tough, that is a tough call there. I mean, I would, gun to my head, I would take TCU to f find a way. But uh, would not surprise me if Baylor wins a game here. But the game, you know, a couple games I like. I do like Oregon at home as a pick 'em. Uh, and again, not a lot of great games on the docket as far as uh, spreads and, and in intrigue here. Uh, you got Miami going to Clemson this week. Miami's 19 or 20 point uh, underdog there. You got Tennessee, South Carolina. That that's a big number. You got a lot of big numbers this week. A lot of. Uh, a lot of middle middle of the pack matchups. There's again not not a lot of elite matchups. You'll have some big matchups next week with rivalry week. Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, you'll have, um, you know, we had Florida, Florida State will be actually a really good game this year as well. So you'll have some matchups. Um, you'll have you'll have Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Actually, my apologies. I believe Oklahoma and Oklahoma State play this week. Let me check. Yep, they do. Actually, Bedlam is this week. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State this week. Uh, Oklahoma is a seven and a half point favorite. Um, wouldn't shock me if Oklahoma State plus the seven and a half. That's always a huge rivalry. I would take Oklahoma State in the seven and a half right there. And then you have uh, Ole Miss heading to Arkansas this week as well. Ole Miss is minus two and a half. Um, kind of like Arkansas plus the two and a half at home is there as well. Arkansas played really well. Uh, last week against LSU, had a, had a great chance to win. Don't know what the status is with KJ KJ Jefferson. So if Jefferson plays, is playing, I would probably take Arkansas there. If he's not playing, I would take Ole Miss. Sunday docket NFL. Again, uh, you got a couple of interesting games. You got a, a snowstorm possibility in Buffalo. Cleveland heads to Buffalo. Uh, lots of snow forecasted for for Western New York. You got the Jets heading to the Patriots. That'll be a that'll be a big game, a divisional game. You got the Eagles heading to Indianapolis to see if they can come off. Remember, they lost their first game Monday night against Washington. Kudos to to the Commanders for for taking it to the to to, to the Eagles. But again, interesting uh, matchup there. Philly going to Indianapolis, game two of Jeff Saturday, big running game last week uh, for Indianapolis. The Eagles got gashed on Monday night with the running game. No doubt, Dallas Goddard for uh, the for the Eagles, the tight, the, the big time tight end. He's out for for several weeks with a shoulder issue. Then you have a uh, couple of uh, other interesting games. You're going to have uh, the Raiders heading to Denver. We'll see how the Raiders respond after the Derek Carr scenario. You got the Chiefs going to Los Angeles on Sunday night against the Chargers. AFC West battle there with Mahomes and Herbert Sunday night. Uh, you got Dallas heading to Minnesota late afternoon, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Dallas is a one and a half point favorite in Minnesota. If you saw the Minnesota Buffalo game last week, you saw that. Then you saw Dallas 
blow the big lead on the road in Minnesota, in Green Bay last week. They head to Minnesota. I like Minnesota in that game at home. And then you have the Bengals coming off a bye week, heading to Pittsburgh in a late afternoon game. Interesting game there. But uh, kind of the marquee games are Dallas-Minnesota, Kansas City and the Chargers uh, are the two big games. And then uh, then you have Thursday night. You have an interesting game on Thursday night. If you're listening to this after Thursday, it will obviously already be over. But Green Bay hosting Tennessee. I do like Green Bay tonight. That's one of my that's – a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a play I like. I like Green Bay minus three at home. I think – I think they're going to hit Tennessee with some play action. Christian Watson, big game. I think the running game for both teams will be prevalent tonight. Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones. I do like Green Bay, though, to f- find a way to get it done at home. You know, close game, probably a, a six-point game or six-seven-point game, I think, a 24-17 kind of game. I'll take Green Bay minus the three at home. I do like the Patriots minus the three uh, at home against the Jets on Sunday. The Patriots coming off a bye week as well as the Jets. So I'll take the Patriots at home with Mac Jones, uh, and I'll take the Giants at home as well, minus the three against Detroit. I don't know what that's that's an awfully low line. I know the Giants are not prolific on offense, but I'll take the Giants minus the three at home against the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell. So there's some picks for you. Enjoy the weekend. Remember, Thanksgiving next week. Hope everybody has it. We will have a Thanksgiving edition for you next week as well. Uh, we've got a couple of cool guests I think you're, you're, you're going to enjoy next week um, as well. So lined up and have a great weekend. Stay safe. Do a nice thing for somebody. And thanks for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.